Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. We must find a way to pass these voting rights bills. Perhaps the president went a little too far in his rhetoric. Some of us do. Profoundly unpresidential. President Biden's approval rating dropped. Dropped to 33%. A steep rise in cases due to Omicron. Virtually everybody is going to wind up getting exposed and likely get infected. So now here we are. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views for a political trivia Thursday. And uh, big news from uh, the Supremes. I'm not talking about the singers. Don't say no, Joe. The uh, Supreme Court has uh, undercut President Biden. And uh, it's uh, a pretty significant uh, decision. Now, there's there's two parts to this. First of all, the Supreme Court blocked the Biden administration's vaccine mandates for big businesses on Thursday, but it did preserve a narrow vaccine requirement for federally funded health care workers. Now, by federally funding, they mean any doctor's office, organization, uh, hospital that takes Medicare or Medicaid funds, uh, you are not exempt from the mandate. And essentially, we were talking before the program, essentially, unless perhaps you have a concierge doctor's office, it's a pay-as-you-go and they don't deal with insurance and Medicaid or Medicare, uh, those are pretty rare. I suppose there's a few out there, but unless you're in that, if you have anything to do with Medicare or Medicaid or any other federal funds, Uh, you are not exempt from this mandate. Both decisions were unsigned and featured different coalitions. The court blocked the big businesses mandate over the dissent of the liberal trio, while Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, and Justice Brett Kavanaugh joined the liberals to preserve the health care worker mandate, which is interesting because I said last week when they heard the oral arguments, I, I wondered how Kavanaugh and Roberts would go. And uh, sure enough, they're the two that didn't go with the conservative majority, again, for the health care workers. And their rationale was, okay, you're getting federal money from the federal government, and so therefore the federal government ought to be able to tell you how to, uh, OSHA ought to be able to tell you what to do in terms of the uh, vaccine mandate. Which, by the way, as a side note, you need to be careful. When you take money from the federal government, there are strings attached. (laughs) Just ask schools and universities. There are (laughs) strings attached. The big business rule would have forced more than 80 million workers to get vaccinated or submit to regular testing. It was issued by OSHA. The healthcare worker mandate applies to all medical facilities that take Medicare or Medicaid dollars. Thursday's decision is a setback for Biden, who is struggling to make progress against the pandemic. COVID tests remain sparse in many parts of the country, and the administration did not craft a plan to improve access until late December, well into the surge of Omicron. The president's pick to lead the Centers for Disease Control, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, has been criticized for bungling booster shot guidance and succumbing to outside pressure. Uh, who, who has not bungled this? <laughs> I mean, on, on the federal side... Who has not bungled this? I don't know. I, I, this is this is about as bad 
as when the Obamacare website came out. Remember that boondoggle? They spent, what, how many millions, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, and they couldn't get a website to work? And the, and the organization that was doing it, uh, or the consultants, was a pure political payoff for someone that had no clue about that seems to be, yeah, online that, things. That seems to be the common denominator now Democrats do things. But they and did we, check a box. They checked and, a box. And we have some examples of that in today's program, by the way. Uh, Thursday's decision is set back for Biden. Um, following Thursday's ruling, the president said he would use his bully pulpit to press businesses to impose vaccine mandates on their own. Your bully pulpit has lost all <laughs> credibility. Your bully pulpit is laughable. That bull's lost a lot of testosterone is all I got to say. Because <laughs> when he's in the pulpit, he's, uh, he, there's not much bull in him. There, there's some bull. <laughs> but, I mean, he, he lost any credibility this week with that speech down in georgia yeah i think he has no bully pulpit uh the administration's most aggressive covid policies have repeatedly run into trouble before the high court that's because they're unconstitutional the justices blocked the cdc eviction moratorium in august when it also telegraphed that a nationwide vaccine mandate would not survive a challenge we expect congress to speak clearly when authorizing an agency to exert powers of vast economic and political significance that decision read anticipating the arguments in Thursday's case. The high court cited the very passage in Thursday's decision, saying there's little doubt that OSHA's mandate qualifies as an exercise of such authority. The majority went on to say that OSHA's chartering statute empowers it to regulate dangers arising in the workplace specifically. COVID, on the other hand, is a threat that is always and everywhere. I came up in the oral arguments. Uh, I think it was uh, Samuel Alito said, well, wait a minute. You know, other you know, OSHA directs the workplace. You're trying to direct something that is 24-7 and it's something that people take home with themselves and people will experience elsewhere. Do you have authority there? Sounds to me like the Supreme Court says, no, you don't. You don't. Now, was the, the hearing, was this the direct result of a lawsuit filed by Jay Sekulow's group and the Heritage Foundation? It was a combination of— I know Jay of, Sekulow— he was one of the arguments, you know, against the mandate. So I, I, I think it was uh, it was because it didn't come from several uh, lower courts, and it was combined into one. Mm-hmm. I think you had some lower courts that uh, uh, basically gave the nod to the president, saying it was okay, and then you had other lower courts that said, no, no, you can't do this. And I had several stories on this, but um, yeah, the fifth court initially entered a stay. But when the cases were considered before the sixth court, that court lifted the stay and allowed OSHA's rule to take effect. And when you have conflicting uh, lower courts, it does go to the Supreme Court. And uh, they, they took this in a more speedy fashion. And you know, I think you have to go back for the Supreme Court to uh, say, okay, we're going to immediately hear oral arguments. The last time that happened, I think, was back in 1970 where they uh, basically took the, the quick route to uh, the Supreme Court. Uh, normally, it, you know, it goes through a long process. I read, um, I read some of the excerpts of the arguments uh, on the Daily Signal, which I think is the Heritage Foundation, right. and um, listened to one of their podcasts last night. And uh, t- to me, the was it, what was it, 6-3, right? 
six three. three. Yeah, yeah, six yeah, three for the business part. The, of the it. arguments on the three on the th- for the three justices to me were so obviously political based, right? And uh, you know, health crisis based, pandemic based. You know, some of which, you know, obviously uh, they've been pretty embarrassed by. You know, what, what they cited so, Sodom, Sotomayor and who uh, who was it Breyer that uh, uh, Breyer Breyer, Breyer that, was the one that said yeah there were seven hundred million cases last month or something well, well well first first of all to me the argument shouldn't be based on that at all right. I mean I'm not a lawyer but it shouldn't be based on that at all but then their facts were wrong well so I, the, the the argument from the left is is you know. It, it, if I couldn't finish your thought, it needs to be based on the Constitution. It needs to be based on the law, not on the circumstance. Yeah, the Constitution doesn't give limitations of your rights right? Uh, of any particular time, pandemic, war, or whatever. I mean, obviously, the Constitution kind of talks about, uh, you know, and and, we, and you have the obvious issue of, okay, how far does my rights extend and how far does yours extend when we start to— you know go against each other i i I, my my rights can't extend beyond yours and yours can't extend beyond mine but the constitution doesn't say well except for these situations you don't have these rights and this is this is exactly what the left wants to do they want to usurp the constitution based on the sky is falling based on if we don't react this way if we don't immediately do something that goes beyond the limitations of the Constitution, the parameters of the Constitution. The world is going to come to an end. And that's what Sotomayor said when she said, oh, we have 100,000 kids that are in the hospitals and on ventilators and on death's door. She was trying to make an argument that was, uh, you know, this is so over the top. It is so devastating. The end of the world is here. It's almost like you know when when the, the atomic bomb has gone off and the entire nation is burning to the ground, um, we're not going to worry about the Constitution, and that's what they're thinking is. And I think it is deliberate. I think they're doing it because they want to have a workaround mm. the Constitution. Well, that's that you know uh, living, breathing document clause yeah. that they the yeah. left. Thinks. It's a living document, and it <laughs> changes with the wind. No, it's you know they are absolute, and that's. Period, and that's what uh, the arguments were made, you know, on the on the uh, the conservative sides, and that was arguments made by Jay Sekulow. I mean, he he didn't get into. I listened to one of his arguments. He didn't get into anything about the pandemic. It's all about individual rights, you know, right. and and so that's what it should have been. And they don't want to don't focus on the Constitution. Focus on the fact that the world is coming to an end. And, and and you need us, and if if you don't allow the government to to dictate to you what you have to do, you're all gonna die. The, the, I bet I hadn't I hadn't looked at some other sites. Um, I will tonight. I'll watch some things tonight. But I bet this doesn't get much coverage on the mainstream on media. the mainstream media. But this is a big deal. This Not, is a big deal, and it has nothing to do with the pandemic. It has to do with the fact that the six three majority. Uh, f- f- I mean, they found it the way they should, and just think if. Donald Trump hadn't won the election against Hillary Clinton. We this this mandate would have been held up because this is all wrong. So how dare you, Gorsuch, Thomas, Amy Coney Barrett, and Samuel Alito? Um, they wanted to do away with the mandate across the board, including mm-hmm. as it affects the the medical community. And I haven't read it yet, but my understanding is Justice Thomas 
really torched the majority that said that that they're going to carve out an exemption. Well, not an exempt. They're going to they're going to allow the Biden administration to mandate the uh, the medical workers that that take any kind of federal funds. Um, Thomas was not happy. I, I look forward to reading that tonight. Uh, we got to take a time out. Lots more to talk about, including a new poll from Civitas. They're the folks that uh, have uh, recently united with the John Locke Foundation. And we'll take a look at the upcoming primary for the U.S. Senate. And uh, there's somebody else running in the U.S. Senate race that perhaps you're not familiar with. I'm not talking about Mark Walker. I'm not talking about Pat McCory. And I'm not talking about Ted Budd. Um, a female is running and uh, we'll talk about that and this poll when we get back this is your drive at five and enc with tom lamprecht welcome back to news and views on talk 96.3 and 103.7 welcome back in it is uh, news and views for a thursday a political trivia thursday we'll plan a little bit uh, your category today the war between the states so if you're a civil war buff Uh Get ready to call in. I got this one. All right. (laughs) It was 20 years ago in 2002 while watching football at the White House, George W. Bush choked on a deadly pretzel to the point of passing out. Do you remember that? I don't. (laughs) (coughs) Yeah, Yeah, something like that. Wouldn't it have been something, though, if the president had died because he choked to death on a pretzel? 54 years ago, in 1968, Johnny Cash performed a pair of concerts at Folsom Prison, which were later released at his live Folsom Prison album. I own that album. I was a Johnny Cash fan. As yeah, I'm still a Johnny Cash fan. He's on my playlist. Boy named Fol- Sue. Fol- Folsom County, Folsom Prison Blues, right? Yeah, he only was- had about two notes he could hit, but uh, still, I, I, I was a Johnny Cash fan. Um, you know, his his... Uh, maybe his, maybe his last album that was more of a folk, uh, kind of a folk album that he did was was really good. I thought. Uh, and forty seven years ago today, our producer Clark Willis was born. How about that? Happy birthday to Clark. Well, isn't that special? <laughs> <laughs> Clark is the guy that makes us sound good. Can I do that? <laughs> He is quick and on the button. And he's just full of all, no, don't go there. Don't go all, there. Oh, uh, <laughs> all sorts of uh, You never know what's going to come out of clock. That's not an appropriate question for you to ask. <laughs> the uh, weather forecast for tonight, mostly cloudy, low around 36. Tomorrow, sunshine, the high near 53. And uh, Saturday, partly sunny. The high is only going to be around 40. And then the fun starts. Saturday night, chance of snow and sleet starts overnight. Uh, the low will be about 28, chance of precip Saturday night, 30%. Mm. Sunday, rain, freezing rain, and sleep becoming rain after about 10 a.m. So, sorry for you snow fans. Uh, oh, you, have to pray, you have to pray that it stays uh, cold. Come on, man. Otherwise, uh, it's just going to be a sloppy mess come Sunday. Sorry. I was hoping it would be hamstring deep to a giraffe. Hamstring deep to a giraffe. Yeah, that's the PG version of. Oh. No. <laughs> anyway. Uh, new survey out from Civitas and the uh, good folks at the John Locke Foundation. 
According to this new survey, former President Donald Trump has already stepped into the race to replace the U.S. Senator Richard Burr, Richard Do-Nothing Burr, by endorsing Representative Ted Budd in the Republican primary. Yet Trump's endorsement has so far failed to seal the deal for Budd with likely GOP voters, unless Walker gets out of the race. The latest Civitas poll shows former Governor Pat McCrory leading the primary with 24% of the vote. Bud, who currently serves the 13th district, brings in 9%. The former 6th district congressman, Mark Walker, brings in 7%. Nearly half the GOP voters, 49%, remain undecided with four months until the election day of May the 17th. With Walker reportedly considering whether to drop out of the race and instead run for a seat in the U.S. House, The poll uh, also asked GOP primary voters their preference in a two-way race between McCrory and Bud. Under that scenario, the contest tightens within the poll's margin of error. Bud's support grows to 34%. McCrory's grows to 33%. 33% remain undecided. I think Mark Walker is going to run for Congress. I don't think, I think he's going to run for the House. I think he will drop out. But... There is another fly in the ointment, or if you want to look at it another way, there's another valid candidate that uh, is in the race that you hear very little about. Now, this survey did acknowledge other people that are running, such as Marjorie Eastman, who we're going to talk about in a second. She pulled almost 1% of the vote. Kenneth Bishop uh, pulled almost 1% of the vote. Um, Jen Banwart who I'm not familiar with, um, did not even show up in the poll. Trump's influence with the North Carolina uh, Republican electorate is clear in the results. His overwhelming favorite at the GOP presidential primary were held today, pulling 47%. Ron DeSantis, second uh, with 19%. When asked how Trump's endorsement of U.S. Senate candidate would impact their vote, 50% of the GOP primary voters said they would definitely or probably vote for Trump's pick. So that tells me a lot of those people don't realize that Don, it's hard to believe that a Republican voter who would be excited about Donald Trump did not realize that he has endorsed Ted Budd. Anyway. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> you know, the, I mean, the, we're, we're into politics we're a into, lot more than the average well, show out there. But. Well, we're into politics. Um, you know, he announced that endorsement at the Republican convention here in, here North, in, here in right. North Carolina last right. summer. Right. And as if you remember, the mainstream media, I mean, they, 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 didn't, they didn't cover it. Yeah. They didn't cover it much. So uh, it probably has to be, you know, some junkies, some political junkies that really know it. Uh, this this poll survey goes, up, goes on to say Republicans will make their Senate choice at a time when nine out of 10 believe the country is on the wrong track. So you're looking for a, someone who is an outsider. An establishment mm-hmm. Republican is not going to prevail. And I'm sorry, when you now I suppose both Ted Budd and Pat McCrory could be labeled as an establishment Republican. Uh, which of those two, though, would you say would be more of an establishment Republican? Well, to, to probably to the person, to the casual person, they would probably say Pat McCrory. But um, I, really, neither one of them is when it comes to Washington politics. I mean, 
McCrory's never been to Washington as far as elected office. That's true. You know, Ted Budd yeah. was you know House House member, but you know, really both of. I mean, even McCrory when he was governor, um, you know, he was. You know, he was a lot of people with inside the Republican Party in North Carolina, particularly in the House members of North Carolina. Uh, he was a little bit of an outsider, a little bit of a maverick to them. So I, I don't know. I, Eight out of ten voters, Republican voters in North Carolina, disapprove of the job Congress is doing. The poll shows they also have grave concerns about the integrity of the elections, nearly half. So when, listen, when when – the mainstream media goes around and says, oh, Donald Trump is just a lunatic. He's way out there. He's way out there. When he says that you can't trust the vote, he is just a nut job. Well, he's got a lot of company. 49% of Republican voters in the state of North Carolina, that is a huge number, do not believe the 2022 general election will be free and fair. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you can say whatever you want. I, personally, I, I don't think the last one was free and fair. I, you know, whether or not this upcoming one, they, they better do their, their groundwork if it's going to be free and fair. But uh, 49% don't believe it's going to be free and fair. Another 31% aren't sure. Now, again, the mainstream media would say, oh, see, that proves it. All Republicans are crazy. Well, I, I think you just hit on something about what the what the voter republican voter for this race considers establishment i don't i don't think the average republican voter will consider either one of those guys as establishment really i i mean i, I think ted budd has a better chance that he's currently not in washington i think anyone in washington would be a you more mean mark walker uh, um, Ted Budd is in Washington. He's in he's in the Congress. That's right. He he currently out the, yeah. okay. So he Mark did, Walker. Mark Walker's is the not. one that kind of got. Uh, but he's di- only at six percent. Districted out or seven percent. But but I think anyone that doesn't have anything to do with Washington, in 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 the Republican voters' mind, I think will have an advantage. Well, the closer we get, I mean, the, the bottom line is, I, I hate to say this, but and it's probably better for Republicans than it is for Democrats. But in either party. The vast majority of voters, and I, I, I can tell you this firsthand, because the day before Election Day or the, you know, when you get into that period of time, I get numerous emails from people saying, hey, Tom, who should I vote for? Mm-hmm. They're just not following it. And folks, if you want to keep our country, and if you're listening to this program, you probably obviously do follow it a little closer than the average person. But boy, you need you need to pay attention. You need to investigate these candidates. Well, you know, it's a long time between now and then. But with the four candidates, quick. with the four candidates are running in the primary, I mean, if they if they remain, I think it's going. I think it's going to narrow. Actually, I think it's going to be just boiled down to who who can convince the voters, uh, convince the independents. I really, I, I really think it will be a a, a push between the two between the two leading candidates on kind of the people that are going to vote for republicans period but then some of the ones that are more independent-minded republicans i think that's that's going to be the key whoever can convince them well the other newcomer to this race she is running for the u.s senate in this race with uh, the primary against uh, pat mccrory ted budd mark walker her name is marjorie eastman she has a young son I don't. Do you have her age there? I'm not sure how old she is, but she looks like she's late 30s, early 40s. I think, yeah, probably late 30s, early 40s. Cause uh, she's you know spent um, a couple of tours, two or three tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and um, but she has some money behind her. 
There's a group called Restore Common Sense. They have spent already a million dollars backing Marjorie Eastman. The group paid for a full-page ad in the News and Observer and the Charlotte Observer. Uh, It's spending um, also is going to fund billboards, radio ads, social media ads. And uh, the Political Action Committee ads on behalf of Eastman are the latest indication that spending in North Carolina Senate race will set record highs. That's no surprise there. Uh, And it'll set record highs for a primary and for a, a general election. The um, person behind the money, behind Restore Common Sense, is a guy named Fred Eshelman. He's a Wilmington executor, executive who founded a pharmaceutical company. Uh, he also uh, apparently has got a lawsuit going on right now, according to the Washington Post. He is suing True the Vote because he gave $2 million to True the Vote, trying to root out voter fraud, and apparently they did not spend the money as he directed them to. So anyway, we'll see where that goes. It's a whole different story. But this Fred Eshelman is apparently uh, a fan of Marjorie Eastman. And uh, so far, he spent a million dollars, which, you know, that just shows you how a million dollars is a drop in the bucket. (laughs) He spent a million dollars in the state of North Carolina. Be honest with you, I've heard of her before. I know nothing about her. Um, also, now this is another interesting part of the story. Club for Growth has spent more than three and a half million between January and November of last year in support of Ted Budd. Now the question is: Now you heard a lot of Ted Budd radio ads, but the question is: Has the Club for Growth done more help for Pat McCor- Pat McCory than helping Ted Budd? We've talked about this before. Some of the claims that Club for Growth has made, especially in these mailers. Pretty over the top. It's over the top. Mm -hmm. And when, frankly, I I like Ted Budd. We've had Ted Budd on the program a couple of times. I like the guy. I like what he stands for. He he seems like a very good guy, as does Mark Walker. And overall, Pat McCoy seems like a good guy. But when you have a group, and, and granted, Ted Budd cannot control what Club for Growth puts out there. That's up to Club for Growth, and the candidate is not allowed to tell a PAC what to say or what not to say. But it puts a sour taste in your mouth when you see these mailers come out. And look, the average average person that receives these PAC mailers, they don't connect the dots. The average person out there thinks this is a piece sent out from the Ted Budd campaign. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'd be honest with you, I, I think they're doing some harm to the candidacy of Ted Budd by these over-the-top statements. Well, you know, people always say they don't like these negative ads and things. They but, work, though. But they work. Yeah. And if it just, you know, if somebody is really on a fence and that and it just puts a little doubt in their mind, because 90% of the people are going to do zero research to see if there's any credibility to it at all. Yeah. And they said, you know, let's see, I remember reading that thing about McCory. Maybe, you know. so I, Maybe he is a skunk. Yeah, I think they're probably more effective than what people. I tell you, well, let's take a time out and let's play a little political trivia, shall we? Five six one eight two five 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 six one eight two five five. Got a prize package worth over eh, probably about two hundred bucks. Your category for today's political trivia: the war between the states. Five six one eight two five five. Give us a call. We'll play when we get back.
Welcome back in. It is time for political trivia. 561-8255. I think the lines are full, but uh, give it a second. And uh, as they drop off, you call in. 561-8255. Yes. I always say that. I've said that number for 12 years now, and I still double-check myself. Um, your prize package includes a free oil change for your car or pickup at Dave Davis's East Carolina Chrysler Dodge Jeep or at Washington Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. A Fit for Life gift certificate, including free training sessions, a $20 gift card to Mucho Bueno for lunch or dinner, a $20 gift card to Gwendy's Goodies Bakery in Aden, a card for service at University PC Care, an Ironwood golf certificate. So remember, if you or anyone in your immediate family have won recently, let 60 days pass before you play again. First up, from Winterville, we've got Ray on the line. Hey, Ray. Hello, Ray. Hey, how you doing, Tom? Good. Are you ready to play? I'll give it a shot. All right, your category, the war between the states. The state of Kentucky made a significant contribution to both sides, the North and the South, during the war between the states. What was this significant contribution? Well, I know they about half and half on both sides, and they had their own government, both of them. What do you think? What? I said, what do you think? Give us an answer. I say say they had the uh, government for both sides. Uh, That's not it. That's not it. Good guess. Thanks, Ray. 561-8255. Let's go down to Bellhaven. We have Tom on the line. Hi, Tom. Hey Tom. Hey guys, how y'all doing? Doing well. So, what do you think? Oh, and it's it's the war, but it's the war of northern aggression. Okay, well, <laughs> you notice I didn't say the Civil War though. The war between <laughs> the war between the states. So, Kentucky. What was the significant contribution that Kentucky made? And it's not bourbon. Didn't, no, it's not bourbon. <laughs> um, didn't they give up land to both the North and the South? That's not it. It's a good guess. Not it, though. Thanks, Tom. 561-8255. That opens up a couple lines. Let's go to Tim in Greenville. Hi, Tim. Hey, Tim. Hey, how are you doing? Good. You ready for a hint? Yes. All right. Hint number one. Even though these were significant contributions, the state government of Kentucky really did not have much of a hand in these contributions. The state government of Kentucky really did not have a hand in these contributions. African Americans fighting for both sides? Boy, that's a good guess. That's yeah, not it, guess. though. That's that not is it. not it. Thanks, Tim. 561-8255. Let's go to uh, Jamie in Greenville. Hi, Jamie. Hey, Jamie. Hey. How are you? Hey. Doing good. Good. What do you think? The... Um, was it the Underground Railroad? It is not the Underground Railroad. Mm. Good guess. It's a good guess. 561-8255. Although that would have been more of a gift to uh, the North than the uh, South, but uh, good guess. 561-8255. Let's go. Uh, we've got another Tom on the line. Hey, Tom. Tom. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Doing well. Yeah. You ready for hint number two? Yeah, give me another hint number two. All right. Hint number two. The state of Kentucky never officially seceded from the United States. Thus, it formally remained on the side of the North, formally, but in reality, remained neutral in the conflict. However, Kentucky did make these contributions, one to the North and one to the South. 
What do you think? Oh, boy, that hint. Oh, that hint just uh, messed my answer up. Uh, <laughs> um, well, sometimes my so hints will do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to say they, they uh, provided equal number of soldiers to both sides. That's not it. That's uh-huh. not it. And, uh-huh. and again, okay. let me emphasize one to the north and one, one to the, to north the north south. south. All right. Good guess. 561-8255. We have Carlton. Hey, Carlton. Carlton. Hey there. All right. Yeah, you ready for another hit? Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Even though these were significant contributions, they were actually made 50 years prior to the start of the war between the states. That help you or hurt you? Uh, I have no clue. No guess? No, I'll pass. <laughs> All right, thanks for <laughs> thanks. playing, Carlton. Five six one eight two five five. I thought I'd go by now. Let's go to Brian. Hi, Brian. Good evening, sir. Good evening, sir. What do you think? I'm thinking whiskey or alcohol. Oh, no, well, uh, <laughs> Benny already it said it was Kentucky. <laughs> it was Kentucky, but Benny already said it wasn't bourbon. <laughs> it's not bourbon. It was not bourbon, but uh, well, yeah, ben, I bet they actually did provide Kentucky bourbon. <laughs> okay, that might have been one Y'all of the have a good one. few commodities that made money uh, during the war between the states. Do you used to do, uh, Brian? Five six one eight two five five. Steve, is it? Hey, hey Steve. Hi. What do you think? Do you need another hint? No, I don't think so. You think you they got provide, it? Pr- provided the presidents of both sides. You got, you got it. it. Congratulations, Steve. Yes, you've got it. Kentucky was the birthplace of both Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis. Lincoln was born February 12, 1809 in Hodgenville, Kentucky. Davis was born June 3, 1808 in Fairview, Kentucky. Congratulations, Steve. Where are you calling from? Washington. All right. Well, hang on the line, Steve. And uh, Clark's going to get all your information. Wish Clark a happy birthday, by the way, when he's talking to you. Stay with us. Benny and I will be right back. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. When we are not covering Brandon's heroics. This uh, Brandon, she... What does he play? Well, Mr. President, they're not. Um... Folks, let's hear it for Brandon. What a job he's doing. Let's go, Brandon. Now back to news and let's news go, on 96.3 and 103.7. Congratulations to Steve Rader of Washington, North Carolina. He got it right. Way to go, Steve. That was a tough one. I didn't, I didn't know that one. Yeah. So uh, Kentucky, interesting, isn't it? They were mm. they were neutral. They re- never now they didn't secede. So technically they uh, were aligned with the North. Although there was, believe it or not, it's an interesting story because Kentucky had somewhat of a shadow government going, mm-hmm. and uh, the shadow government sent a lot of help down to uh, the South. But officially they were part of the North. And sorry, just walk in front of the camera there. <laughs> and. <laughs> And Kentucky was Kentucky used to be part of Virginia, right? I think you're you're thinking of West Virginia and Virginia. Yeah, maybe Kentucky, Tennessee. But anyway, they were neutral, but yet the president for both the North and the South came from the state of Kentucky. There you go. Uh, Tim Moore has uh, chimed in on the new legislative maps that was upheld by the uh, Superior Court up in Wake County. Uh, basically saying, you know what? 
Uh, we could have drawn maps that were a whole lot more to our advantage if we wanted to. I mean, at, at the end of the day, he could have. Now, these maps that, you know, everybody on the left thinks it's terrible that these maps are uh, have got such a uh, advantage for the Republicans. Well, not an overly advantage, pin four advantage probably. Um, but uh, Moore said, hey, at the end of the day, take a look at the map if you want to take political data into it. If it had been taken into account, the maps could have been drawn in such a way that they would have been much more advantageous to Republicans. So so what is the timeline before <clears throat> these appeals filed uh, will go to the Supreme Court? Is it next month, right? I think do, – do you know, um, Keith? Uh, uh, hold, on, hold on a second. Let's get, get your mic up. Keith Kidwell, every Thursday, makes a guest appearance for the last couple of minutes of News and Views. <laughs> Keith is with us. What, what's the latest? Keith Kidwell, of course, represents uh, Beaufort and Craven County and the North Carolina House. Welcome back in, Keith. Good to be here, Tom. Benny, and uh, some, of the, some of the math they're doing out there, Benny, doesn't seem to add up, does it? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All these COVID numbers. Anyway, so uh, the Supreme Court has said before the case was ever finalized that they would fast-track the case and bring it up. We're expecting them to uh, to work on it rapidly. Uh, we do have some contingency plans, if, if they do not, to uh, uh, deal with whatever issues result from that. So we, we want to see it uh, happen as quickly as possible. The people have to vote soon. Bingo. So, but do, do we, is it is it fait complete that they will take the take it up? I mean, have, how can how can they say before it was even appealed to the Supreme Court that we're going to take it up? I mean, would would you not have to look at the lower court ruling, and would you not have to look at whatever is filed before you decide that yes, we'll take it up? I'm I'm pretty sure that the Supreme Court knew with their crystal ball that one of the two sides was going to appeal no matter what the outcome was. And that was the case, that one of the two sides would certainly have appealed no matter the result. So in this case, the liberals are appealing our, the, the decision, which interestingly enough, Tom, was it was a 3-0. Even the Democrat voted with Yes. Us. Oh, yeah. We talked yeah. about that yesterday. That was so, big news. Yeah. Very big news. And uh, we're, we're hopeful that the Supreme Court will deal with this within the next couple of weeks. Have you heard anything from uh, – your colleagues up in uh, Raleigh uh, on, on the Republican side as to whether or not the fact that the legislature, the Republican legislature, which drew the maps, the fact that they preve- prevailed in the lower court, are, are any of the uh, the gurus up in Raleigh perhaps more hopeful that, okay, well, it's going to now make it harder for the Supreme Court to overrule the lower court? Well, I think that would be the case if the left thought in the same terms that the average citizen does, uh, but they do not. They really just don't care what they do. They they run their game the way they want to run their game. Uh, I think it's going to get interesting, and we do have contingency plans uh, if the outcome is not constitutional. Now, we have gone over and over and over again the idea that we're going to get uh, – some of these uh, Supreme Court justices to recuse themselves. But it, it, Benny and I were talking about this yesterday. The, the strongest case uh, against an individual recusing themselves comes up to Anita Earl, the Justice Anita Earl, who was given $250,000 by the Eric Holder group that is bringing this lawsuit. Well, and, and she actually worked on some of these suits from the outside, was one of the lawyers in the case, to my understanding. Uh, the well, last time this was all done. Now, so. that, was, that was NAACP versus Moore. Right, but she was yeah. involved. 
Right. Okay. Oh, with, so, with that case, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there there's a lot of uh, consternation, if you will, for having uh, Justice Earl on this case. Uh, I don't believe she can render a fair opinion. Uh, so I think that she does need to recuse herself, but that's going to be her call. Yeah. You know, nobody can force them to do that, just like when they're, they're trying to get uh, Justice Berger to recuse, which I don't see any reason for because he's not up to get elected in this. Well, um, the complaint is yeah. his dad is. And, well, and, and I've read where that campaign contribution was the largest campaign contribution to a single like state Supreme Court in the country by, by an outside organization. That really? Qu- quarter million, yes. Wow. I, and, you know, you, d- you don't hear about many large contributions to justices at, at any level. Yeah, that, I mean, that's <laughs> a big number. $250,000 is a big number, absolutely. So right now, though, you're, you're just waiting in the wings. I mean, you haven't, you haven't had any um, directives from Tim Moore or anybody else up in Raleigh as to uh, have your gas tank full and uh, a, a clean set of underwear to take with you. All right, well, let, let, let's start with this. Tim Moore doesn't issue me any directives. Oh, okay. Well, that's <laughs> so, you know, I work for the people. I don't work for the speaker. Uh, but, yes, we are all on standby uh, to go do whatever is necessary to secure the appropriate elections for the people of North Carolina, uh, and I'm glad to do that. And I will, I will be, as always, Tom, likely one of the biggest mouths up there letting people know if they're doing something wrong. Uh, Keith, we, we're very proud of your big mouth. <laughs> Tom, I, I mean that sincerely. The Absolutely. only campaign promise I made, if you'll remember, is I will not sit down and shut up. Well, uh, my wife continually... If, if whenever I have you on the program via telephone or if you're in the studio, my wife is a uh, big Keith Kidwell fan, and she just—that's uh, true. She just says, "Wow!" I said, "I'm so thankful." And so and, is Donald. Yeah, yeah. And and I I would I will say, Keith, thank you. Um, you you have uh, you have surpassed our expectations. Well, thank you. I, yeah. I hope to continue to do that as long as the good Lord will let me do it. Well, um, and the voters. Yeah, it's, if, if it's a primary between you and Mark Robinson uh, for governor, that's going to be a hard decision to make. But That's uh, not going to happen, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I, my hunch is uh, it'll happen with Mark. Uh, I certainly hope so. But uh, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, by the way, if you're listening on 103.7 or on Facebook uh, or Cable 7, coming up after we're off, it's Tax Talk with uh, Keith and... Uh, his Proctor. brother, so Proctor, is uh, a part of the team. So uh, hang in there. It's coming up. Well, Benny and I will uh, be back tomorrow. See you at 5. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.